Allegis Global Solutions presents the Subject to Talent podcast, a hub for global workforce leaders to unleash the power of human enterprise. Thank you for listening in as we explore the most innovative and transformational topics impacting business today. Hi, I'm Bruce Morton, the host of the Subject to Talent podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joe David, a very good friend of mine who's the Director of Service Excellence for Procurement Solutions here at Allegis Global Solutions. Joe has over 19 years of experience in service procurement and contingent workforce strategy and leads our Procurement Solutions service line. In his role, he's accountable for product growth and strategy, including consulting client leadership on their services procurement roadmap and implementing extended workforce programs. Joe, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Excited to be here. Great. So those uh, regular listeners will know we always ask our guests the very first same question. Uh, how did you get into the workforce industry? And what was your journey to get you to where you are today? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think like a lot of people in staffing and workforce industry, I never intended to get into it. I definitely fell into it. Uh, and nice. it's a happy, happy accident. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the long story or long story short is I, Graduated from the University of Maryland with an English degree. And from there, actually, that's when I joined Allegis Group, our parent company, and another one of our operating companies, Aerotech, is actually a bids manager. So I was actually helping to write business development proposals for staffing contracts. Um, I had no idea really what AGS did. I was happy to get a job uh, right out of college. It was kind of related to my degree. Um, I focused more on technical writing and professional writing. And that was really my exposure into, you know, what Allegis Group did, what staffing was overall um, by helping to secure these uh, requests for proposals, right, for staffing. Right. And then from there, I kind of then made my move onto the MSP side of things. I, I had a stint recruiting with Aerotech for about two years. Um, I recruited accounting and finance. So I was able to get my feet wet, really understanding what recruiting is all about. Uh, but then in 2007, that's when I joined AGS. Uh, to help launch one of our, at that point in time, the largest MSP program we had in financial services. Um, and it's really just kind of grown from there. So most of my career in AGS has been in operations, uh, starting off with that program, uh, leading it eventually, and then going to quite a few other programs of uh, standing it up, implementing them. Uh, and then in almost all of these programs, there was some sort of services procurement component in it. So as I started developing this portfolio of experience, implementing services programs and contingent workforce programs, then I was able to move into this new role that I'm in right now as a product leader specifically for procurement solutions service line. Great. Thanks for that. And I guess mm -hmm. one thing that hasn't changed in 19 years is uh, companies are looking for ways to cut costs. Um, yes. And especially, especially in the current times of economic uncertainty, probably cutting costs quickly. So while still ensuring, you know, Organizations still have to get work done. So how can they look to services procurement or statement of work, as it's sometimes called, to identify those quick wins when it comes to cost saving? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think first and foremost, it's acknowledging that there is significant cost savings on the services side, right? I, and I say that because we we have a lot of clients that we maybe are running a contingent workforce program, but right now it's only focused on staff augmentation, or maybe it's one of our RPO only clients. And in those situations, obviously, we also are faced with, you know, the needs to do some sort of cost savings. And so in those type of programs, you're kind of initially looking at just what they have the immediate control over, over the staffing suppliers, maybe around RPO, um, but really just understanding that for these client organizations, they are getting work done and engaging talent under statement of work um, that 
might not be managed in the program now, but there's an opportunity to look at it and figure out are there additional levers of cost savings so we can implement there that actually in all the cases would have um, an even larger impact than let's say kind of a generic application of a 10% rate reduction on the staff ops side. Um, so first, it's just acknowledging there definitely is a lot of opportunity in SW overall. Um, and then really from that, especially this year, knowing that you know where we're at um, economically, there's always the balance of what can you do quick wins for realizing cost savings and then what are kind of those more long-term but programmatic solutions that you can get in place to ensure long-term cost savings. So talking about the quick wins first, I really think at this point, pragmatically, um, if you're looking to implement really quick wins for cost savings, mm -hmm. there's probably three main areas. One is first and foremost, implementing what we call quick bids. Um, so trying to advocate for more competitive sourcing. And when I say quick bids, it's just the concept that in a lot of organizations, we obviously already have existing approved suppliers and services. It's just getting more of that cultural movement of bidding out opportunities um, to at least figure out what's in the market, as opposed to what I do think happens with a lot of our companies or our clients, where they already have an existing relationship with a service supplier and they just kind of just keep on going to them without really right. testing the market. Um, so that's one that you could really implement quickly. Um, obviously there's ways that you can implement it uh, in a more complex way uh, down the road. Uh, but you can literally just start doing quick bids by just, you know, reaching out to two other suppliers that you're working with um, within that one organization and just asking them for a quick quote, right, on similar types of work. And it's using that as leverage when you're trying to negotiate um, an opportunity. Um, some of the two other ways that I think you can definitely do this year that are, that are feasible are also looking at reclassification. That is a big area that a lot of our customers are interested in now. And really, you know, just kind of restate what that means. It's, it's just this idea that understatement of work, um, a lot of our customers, especially our customers that don't have a formally managed program on the SW side, it is likely that some of that work, whether even though it is understatement of work, is likely just misclassified staff augmentation uh, spend. And really where that comes into play is that knowing that the work is actually just staff augmentation, meaning the client's still owning the outputs, they're managing the workers. In a lot of cases, there's no need for our clients to pay a consulting rate premium on top of that if the supplier themselves really aren't taking any type of accountability. Right. So there's ways that we can look at that SOW spend, analyze it, figure out if there's risk for misclassification, and then in turn move that work into a staff augmentation model. Uh, model. Uh, leveraging staff augmentation rates. So especially if it's an SW that's a simple TNM, time and material based engagement, you can typically move that fairly efficiently into a staff aug module um, and then getting those rate negotiations and realizing cost savings immediately. Great. Um, so yeah. three quick ways there. So quick bids, don't just send to one, right? Give some choice, send that that's to right. three different bidders. Um, second one was to look at that misclassification or reclassification, making sure people are in the right bucket that's staffled that they should be. And then and then the third one you want to talk about. Yeah, the third one, again, this is uh, thinking about things you can do now, is just looking at SW extensions and negotiations. We're coming to the middle of the year. We have a lot of companies that they do some sort of mid-year budget review on their services work, or maybe they're starting to do planning uh, for 2024. This is the opportunity when you're now looking to extend a statement of work is really questioning as you're doing an extension with that incumbent supplier, is there an opportunity to do some sort of negotiation? Again, if it's a high performing supplier, we're not advocating that you disrupt the business and change suppliers, uh, you know, just kind of haphazardly. 
but even in an extension, um, there's always potentially some opportunity to look about look at the reason for the extension. So, for example, if the SOW had to be extended because maybe the supplier couldn't meet their milestone of deliverables on time and he needed to ask for three more months uh, to get the work done, there's right. definitely in those situations an opportunity to negotiate that extension. So maybe it's a no-cost extension uh, instead of just assuming that we have to give the supplier um, additional funds, especially if it's something that's um, determined to be the supplier fault. But even in those cases, knowing that, um, you know, everybody's, you know, working through ways to, to leverage additional cost savings. It's just an opportunity to ask suppliers like, hey, we're looking to continue to work with you and do business, but we're in a tough time ourselves. We need to realize some additional cost savings. Is there anything we can do as a condition of giving you more business that you could maybe lower the total price of what you originally quoted out to us? So right. that's another kind of immediate way to start doing this. Great. Thank you. That's uh, three great tips there. And on a more long-term or perhaps more strategic long-term savings, what would your recommendation be there? Yeah. I think that when you really look at, um, you know, these levers we talked about, misclassification, um, negotiation, doing competitive bids, really when you try to think of a long-term solution, it's really now starting to think about our programmatic solution. So we call an actual service of procurement solution or for AGS, we call our spend and sourcing insights programs. And really what that means is now, uh, you know, creating, enabling let's say if you're using a VMS, that technology, that SOW module, they're start managing the statements of work um, outside of just the front end classification, now actually managing the statements of work within a technology and getting the actual data and KPIs to really prove that, yes, in fact, you did negotiate a really great deal um, with a supplier and you, let, you realized some great initial cost savings, but that those cost savings actually come to fruition throughout the entire life of the project, meaning after you negotiated that great rate, are we sure that the SOW didn't actually just start getting extended over and over and over again? And those initial cost savings that you thought you realized have now went out the window, right? You really only start realizing that if you start implementing a program that manages the full life of that project from start to end. Um, and then obviously for, for sourcing as well, too, like I said, quick bids, you can really do that pretty quickly. It can be a manual effort, but you know, one of the things we're certainly advocating is then using enabling technologies to make sourcing easier. Um, one of the reasons why I feel like a lot of our customers from a cultural perspective haven't been able to push a lot of competitive sourcing is that a lot of our procurement sponsors themselves, they're not engaged early enough in certain opportunities to really advise in a timely manner that, hey, if there's an opportunity to get some sourcing done, typically they're just being asked to really you know, redline and kind of rubber stamp a deal that's already been inked between the business and the suppliers. So the element of time has been lost. But we've been partnering with platforms like Globality, Bruce, as you know, where there's an opportunity to talk about enacting some sort of competitive sourcing activity using generative AI to really help sourcing go quickly and at the speed the business needs to actually get these competitive sourcing opportunities without really interfering with the business need to still get work done quickly. Right. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, a lot to do there and some great ideas. Really appreciate it. And so... People, when they follow up on these uh, podcasts, I'm say, well, yeah, where do I start? So let me ask that question <laughs> to you. There's a lot to do there. Yeah. What's your uh, pearl of wisdom there? Where do, where do organizations start? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you need to get the data, right, and build the business case. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, clients that are in a variety of stages of maturity and service of procurement um, for our customers that maybe there's nothing that their contingent workforce partners are managing on the services side. Maybe it's just staff documentation or just RPO. You know, there are those initial steps of at least just getting the basic spend reports, right? And you can, you know, work with organizations like us um, or within your own organization internally to start looking at that out of program spend 
and start targeting subs of that for analysis. You know, and right. it's like we said, maybe doing a misclassification analysis might be a good way to look at it as a first um, go, right? Out of all that spend you're analyzing, there's likely some percentage of that that very clearly without a lot of scrutiny, it can be seen as actually being staff augmentation in TNM, and then you can focus on that. And the other thing that you think about doing those analysis, it then helps kind of start kind of proving maybe your suspicions on the reasons why this is happening. Uh, so for example, you start looking at all these SOWs and oh, the reason why we have so much misclassification is that maybe, you know, as a business process, you're a lot of, you're allowing a lot of SOWs to be created on supplier paper. Maybe your organization doesn't actually have pre-built templates that your business managers are mandated to use. And so in turn, a lot of the things you'd like to control are actually out of your control because it's actually all being inked on another organization's paper. And again, like by the time our procurement sponsors get that in those situations, it's really hard to correct that without interfering with the business needs to just get work done. Right. So it's visibility, visibility, and visibility. But so it's so right. yeah. thanks for that. So it's, it's talking of which, it's, how does this differ when organizations need to look or can look through a global lens? How does that impact the strategy? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's just acknowledging that, um, you know, especially if we think about services, right? That, you know, use, you know, there's a big IT outsourcers as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, all these organizations, you know, one of their value props is the ability to deliver IT services uh, potentially at a more effective uh, cost model because they have an offshore component, right? Um, and we have a lot of our clients where there's several of those big IT suppliers that are in our, our programs. They have some component of work that's being done onshore, and then they're able to get more specific IT talent, maybe in an offshore model, to kind of get more productivity on behalf of their customers. And the the lever or the methodology certainly can work, and it makes sense. It's I'm certainly not saying that it's a bad way to go. I think where services procurement solutions can really help kind of verify if it's actually working is actually, it's like we talked about before, is as soon as you've inked over this on offshore delivery model with these big IT suppliers, now you can actually start measuring, okay, the mix of on and offshore workers by managing their statements work and their projects within a contingent workforce program. So now you can really figure out, hey, when we started working with IT outsourcer A, they committed that 75% of their workers would be, or the work would be delivered offshore. Uh, to leverage better cost savings, we start now managing multiple projects under these suppliers. Is it actually happening, or are actually we're seeing some uh, scope creep where more of that work is actually in onshore locations, maybe more right. so than you anticipated? So again, to your point, it's about the visibility piece of it, especially yeah. when you think about offshore models, to just make sure that you're really getting what you expected, and there's not this opportunity for this cost creep uh, in other situations where you just have no idea after you set up the infrastructure and you're not really sure if you're getting the right quality or the right mix of on and offshore workers. Got it. And with the, and the pressure that's obviously on organizations right now, cost pressures, how do we, what's your advice in terms of ensuring that organizations, while they're thinking about cost are not also decreasing the focus on diversity, expert inclusion? I, I love that question. That's uh, the whole you know concept of you know diversity inclusion. Well, one, it's always been a passion of my period um, in my time at AGS, but it's also something that I think we need to talk about more specifically in services because uh, I know I think for most conditional workforce practitioners, the concept of diversity spend, diversity candidates, it's it's pretty well established on the staff augmentation side of things. Obviously, in RPO and full-time uh, recruiting, uh, you know, the concept of diversity is at the forefront. Yeah. But I think to this day, we still have a lot of our clients and organizations, when they think about spend, services spend specifically, 
they're still really thinking about this whole idea of like, let me just aggregate as much spend uh, with one diverse supplier, right? And it's more kind of like a tier one, tier two play of just getting as much spend as you can. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but the thing that I talk about with our clients is kind of challenging the assumption of, I wouldn't over-index on just trying to funnel just the diver- or just looking at diversity spend. There's another aspect of really thinking about how are you creating additional opportunity for diverse suppliers in the services space? So right. really what that means is, you know, we now at this point, we have a lot of different companies, especially companies that maybe started off in staffing. They're starting to develop, you know, true services capabilities well too. Mm. And it's important to really talk about that because I think, um, you know, in the past, there's still maybe this old school mentality of in a condition workforce program, you have your supply chain and your suppliers had to pick one way or the other. They either had to be your staffing supplier or maybe they could be services, but they couldn't do both. Right. And I think that mentality is kind of, um, I do think it's a little bit antiquated at this point. It also doesn't acknowledge that just like our client organizations have evolved, our service providers or staffing companies and service providers have evolved themselves, right? A lot of these companies have started developing real services capability and the ability to deliver a milestone the little base engagements, have a bench that we can hold them accountable for and then use that as an opportunity to really mentor diverse staffing companies to become diverse services companies. And now they can really be a really great competitor to say like a big global IT outsourcing um, organization. I think a lot of the, um, if you look at the, what I'd say the more traditional services supplier community, a lot of the companies that our clients deal with are just these large, you know, the big four, the big six, you know, these big IT outsourcers, you know, they obviously don't meet a lot of diversity criteria in most organizations. Um, But then being able to mentor kind of these potentially smaller, but these businesses are now developing real services capability is a great way to drive more competition in that space and really create more diverse opportunity in addition to creating more diverse spend under management. Right. And probably getting a great deal as well. Those are yeah. smaller organizations if they want the opportunity to show what they can do, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, they're yeah. hungry for it. They want to great. be able to prove themselves in the space. Right. Though. Great, great commentary. Um, so we've touched, we've touched on tech, we've touched on data. Obviously, here we are to lead just the human enterprise. So we should talk about the human elements of this. Can you perhaps just bring all of this to life with an example of where the human interaction has uh, made a big difference? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the core of right of our organization. I, I think it's really a great topic to talk about, especially as it relates to procurement solutions, because you know, and especially you know, this year with all the economic pressures that our you know clients are facing, it's very easy when we think about trying to leverage cost savings to take a very cold, just purely numbers-driven view, right. um, and really kind of just maybe maybe over-index on one or two different cost savings levers without kind of leveraging relationships to really get. Uh, a more meaningful outcome. So like still getting cost savings, but maybe in a more um, meaningful way, a more precise way. Um, so an example of this, we have one of our technology customers out here in the West Coast where cost savings is actually really important. Just they're part of that big kind of Silicon Valley area, a collection of IT companies that have had cost reductions on the full-time side. And now they're having a lot of um, you know pressure to make sure they're having cost reductions and services as well too. Um, this particular company is probably not ready yet to do full competitive sourcing, but we do have an opportunity now because they're doing a lot of extensions of their existing SOWs to do outreach to individual business managers and really talk to them about their SOWs, the extensions, the reasons behind it, and then start figuring out if there's an opportunity to actually leverage some sort of cost savings in these negotiations. And that's really where that human elements come to play. First and foremost, like our procurement specialists, and that's like our line level you know, team that's supporting our customers and the day-to-day of managing statements of work, 
they're having a conversation, right? This isn't just a blanket email being sent that we're going to reduce right. the consulting bill rate to a certain amount. They're actually reaching out to the business. They're seeking to understand, you know, why did you pick this company in the first place? How is the project going? Are you happy with the outcomes? And by teasing out that through a conversation and building a relationship, we can really kind of be more precise about, okay, hey, based on what you're telling me, there's a little bit of an opportunity for some performance management with a supplier. And that lets use that opportunity to leverage some cost savings in the negotiation of the extension of the SOW. And what we found in those situations is that we can leverage some, you know, good cost savings for the business. And, you know, we have an example this week with one of those negotiations where just by leveraging a move from SOW to staff augmentation, um, that project was able to reduce by about 50,000, which in the big scheme of things at enterprise level might not seem like a lot, but you've got to think about this procurement specialist now is having probably about a dozen of these conversations every day. And at least 25% of those is leading some similar type of outcome from that, right? So these little moves start building into really material overall cost savings that is great to report out to our client. But then the bigger thing that we've seen that's coming out of it is that it's getting those individual managers realizing, oh, wait, there's this program that I can go to next time proactively. And they can actually help me with a full bid. And maybe they can help me with leveraging even better cost savings, right? And that's all just based off having that conversation and having a relationship with these stakeholders. Great. That's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for that. Well, the time has flown by. Uh, we've been <laughs> overloaded with some great ideas. So I truly, truly appreciate that. But yeah. we like to end our episodes looking a few years into the future. Um, so here we go with the, if you had a crystal ball question, if you had a crystal ball, yeah. how will procurement solutions likely change smart spending practices and ultimately how work gets done in the future? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think especially nowadays, um, this might seem like a easy answer at this point, but I definitely do think the whole idea of, you know, generative AI, um, is really going to help, uh, allow us, right? And allow our customers to focus on what's most important, right? We, we talked about partnership with Globality. Um, they're using generative AI to help make sourcing easier from an end user perspective. Right. But it's also this idea of, you know, when we build SOWs, um, there's technologies that we can do to enable to make the more administrative parts of this, like just, filling out a template with basic information, something that can be automated. And when we think about it, it's not to replace the human element of it. It's really just to supplement and allow our people really to focus on that relationship piece of it, right? So, and to be really specific, right? In our service procurement programs, we have procurement specialists, we have coordinators, you know, for some of our programs, maybe 25, even some cases, 50% of what they do right now is a lot of manual follow-up of like SW approvals, um, kind of transcribing and building SOWs into VMS, a lot of that can be automated. And I think that functionality is going to get to scale. It's going to get smarter and smarter. So our teams can start focusing on just the relationship piece, right? Providing advice and consultation. And obviously our customers themselves can use these technologies as well too. But I think the goal of procurement is probably going to continue to be more timely and more relevant on the front end. And part of that is just using technologies to help take care of this administrative side. So that's not something that's, preventing us from being part of those upfront conversations and having a seat at the table and really providing some really great buying advice on the front end. Great. Fantastic. Joe, thank you so much for your time for joining me today. Um, What should listeners do if they want to learn more about procurement solutions here at AGS? 
Well, obviously, yeah. So if you're an existing AGS customer, um, you have your program executives, your program leaders, reach out to them. My function, Service Excellence, um, we really are linked in with all our client delivery leaders. Uh, reach out to them and just let them know you want to learn about procurement solutions. And then that program leader will be able to engage with my team so that we can you know, engage with you in turn and figure out if there's a consultation, if it's a workshop, if you need help building a business case on developing a service procurement offering. Um, really, that's what the role of my team is for. So really working through your program leader is the way to start, and then we'll we'll go from there. Great. And if you're not an existing customer, obviously check out our website, leadersglobalsolutions.com. Joe, thank you so sure. much. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me, Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions, send them to subjecttotalents at leadersglobalsolutions.com. Follow us on LinkedIn with the hashtag subject to talent and learn more about AGS at allegisglobalsolutions.com where you can subscribe to receive additional workforce insights. Until next time, cheers.